Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, today we're going to continue, this will be part two, in a series on temptations, trials, tests, and deserts. Uh, how many ever have been through a desert? We hope you get through. You know, the Bible tells us about the Israelites. They left Egypt and they went through the desert. Now, it says that it was an 11-day journey and it took them 40 years. They just kept going around the mountain and around the mountain. And the thing that we don't want to do is keep going around the mountain. Right? We want to get right in the middle of what God is doing and make it into the promised land. Now, some people think the promised land is heaven, but it's not. The promised land is not a type of heaven, but a type of a victorious Christian life. When they got to the promised land, they had to fight giants. There were walled cities. There were seven nations that they had to dispossess. There were iron chariots. And when you get to heaven, you're not going to fight any more battles. But when you live a victorious Christian life, you are going to be in a fight. Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. As at the end of his life, he said, I have fought a good fight. He said, and I have finished my course and I have kept the faith. Well, we're going to be, every one of us as a believer, we're going to constantly be in a spiritual battle. So I want to start today with 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 and talk about temptation. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Somehow when we are tempted, I, I, I believe it's the devil that tells you, you know, you're the only one that's ever felt like this. You're the only one who's ever had this pressure, who's ever had this pull. But the truth is that what you face and what I face is common. It's not like the devil has got 82 million different things that he throws at us. I mean, he literally just has a handful. And, and anything that you have experienced in temptation, there are hundreds of thousands of people that have experienced the exact same Thing. But God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. In other words, if a temptation comes, it, it, it's proof that God knows that you have got what it takes to go through victorious on the other side. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what is able. Flip Wilson said, the devil made me do it. But the devil can't make anybody do anything. Right? You, you, can, you can surrender to the devil, but he can't make you do anything. It's in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus comes across the Sea of Galilee to the area of the Gadarenes. And the Bible says there's a man there who he is demon-possessed. This man wears no clothes. He lives in the tombs. He cuts himself with stones. Day and night, he's running around, screaming, howling. He's been captured and put in chains. And by demon power, he breaks the chains. But when he sees Jesus, he runs and he falls at Jesus' feet and he worships Jesus. You see, every demon in hell was telling him, go the other way. But he said, no, I know if I can get to Jesus, there is help, there's deliverance, there is freedom if I can get to Jesus. 
So the Bible says that he had a legion, which was at least 6,000 demons, every one of them trying to get him to go in a different direction. But he said, no, I'm running to Jesus and I'm going to get delivered. And then it goes on, it says, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, notice it says the way of escape. In other words, you're just not supposed to sit there. You're supposed to run, right? The Bible says flee youthful lusts. In 1 John 5, 14, it says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. As a believer, you are born into victory. When you come to Jesus, you are born into victory. Literally, he took you to the cross. The apostle Paul said, my old man, that person I used to be was crucified with Christ. The Bible says in Romans chapter six that you're buried with him in baptism. Then the Bible says that we're raised up together with him and made to be seated together with him in heavenly places, far above principality, power, might, dominion, every name that's named, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. As a believer, you are in a place of victory because of what Jesus has done for you. Jesus said to, to his disciples, but not just his disciples, to every believer, he said, behold, I give you authority, right? To trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the devil and nothing shall by any means harm you. So Jesus said, he's given you what? Authority. Now, the, the picture that has helped me the most is that I picture a police officer walking out into the middle of an intersection. Guy weighs 160 pounds, just standing there in his uniform with his badge. And here, barreling at him, comes an 18-wheeler weighing 40,000 pounds. And he goes like this. He puts up his hand. That badge represents authority. He just goes like that 18-wheeler, hits the brakes, and comes to a stop. Now, the 18-wheeler had power, but he had authority. See, the devil may have some power, but you've got authority. All right? And in Jesus' name, you can stop him dead in his tracks. The Bible says, resist him, and he will flee from you. Back in the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve are taken out of the Garden of Eden when they sin in Genesis 3. And then there's a dispute between their two sons, Cain and Abel. And God takes Cain aside and said, sin lieth at the door. Uh, for about 10 years, I, I read the, the ESV version, and it says, sin is crouching at the door. When the devil shows up, he does not come wearing a red suit with horns and a pitchfork and a tail. Right? He comes hiding. He's crouching. He does not want you to know who he is. He wants you to believe that he has nothing to do with what's going on. It's sin is crouching at the door. And unto you shall be his desire. So the devil's desire 
is to take you out. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But it's like fishing. Now, I love to, I'm not very good at it, but I love it. Right? But here's what, here's what happens. You know, I'm, I'm going to go fishing. Right? I've got my number six hook, and I've got my invisible line, and I take that worm and put it on the hook, and I throw it in. Now, the fish thinks he's getting a worm, but what is he really getting? He's getting hooked. He's getting hooked. The, the devil always puts something out there right, that your flesh is going to desire, right? His desire, your desire, his desire is going to be to take you out, to kill, steal, and destroy, but you shall rule over him. See, when the devil and his demon power comes, you are to take authority. You are to rule over him. Now, I, I, I believe one of the things that is truly lacking in the church today is the fear of the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord is not like tremble, I'm afraid, but it's a reverence for God. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, verse 6, by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. By the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. In other words, when we fear God, we will not stay in a place of compromise and sin in our life. But yet today, so often in the church, there are people who will continue with, with, with no shame at all in sin. And it's because there is no fear of God. Proverbs 8, 13. By the fear of the, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. When you love God, right, you hate what God hates. Hate sin. Not the sinner, but hate sin. Uh, we, 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 in, our, in, in the church today, um, there is a misconception of repentance. Uh, I remember many years ago talking to the Lord, and, and I was in, in, a, in, in a time of, of like fellowship with God. I said, God, I'm just, I'm so... You know, I, I, I repent, you know, I repent. And uh, I, I felt like the Lord said, no, you don't. And so I told him again, I repent. And he says, no, you don't. And I says, I, I repent. And this is what the Lord impressed me. He said, you're sorry that I don't like your sin because you like it and you wished I liked it. And you're just sorry, I don't like it. Now, the Bible says to repent and be baptized. It does not say to be sorry God doesn't like what you like. Right? You all look so holy. Right? But the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Not just be sorry God doesn't like what you like. Right? It's to hate evil. The fear of the Lord, Proverbs 9, 10, is the beginning of wisdom. And I love Proverbs 10, 27. It says, the fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Now, notice it says that the fear of the Lord, it prolongs days. Recently, I had somebody ask me, like, does God have a certain plan for how long you're going to live? 
Like, you're going to die in the year 2032, June 7, at 3.36 in the afternoon. Absolutely not. Absolutely not, right? Notice it says the fear of the Lord prolongs days or will prolong your life, but the years of the wicked will be cut short. So, so you can shorten your life. You can prolong your life, right? Now, there are, there's a, God has said in Genesis chapter 6 about the years that people can live. So, in fact, he said, yet man's days shall be 120. So you can live up to be 120 years old. Somebody says, well, I don't think I'll make it. I'm going to shoot high. And if I don't quite make it, it's all right. Just shoot high, right? The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes, again, it says, uh, don't be foolish, you overly wickedly, you die before your time. You can do dumb things that open the door to the devil to take your life, to snuff your life out. But that wasn't God's plan for you, right? Now, the fear of the Lord prolongs days. You know, when you fear God and you depart from evil, you have peace in your heart, in your mind, your soul, your body. But when, when you're living an ungodly life, the Bible says it this way. It says, the wicked flee when no one pursues. The wicked flee. There, there, there's this fear. There's this anxiety that, that is constantly in the life of someone who's not living a godly life. And your body was not made for that. Your body was made to, have, to, to live in peace. Peace with yourself, peace with others, and peace with God. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. So we need the fear of the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord comes really, first of all, the fear of the Lord comes to us when we obey the Spirit of God. Now, how can I explain this real easily? The Bible says in Proverbs 20, verse 27, it says, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. The spirit of man. So when God communicates with you, he communicates to your spirit. He doesn't talk to your head. He doesn't talk to your body. God talks to your spirit. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Now, the voice of your spirit is your conscience. The voice of your spirit is your conscience. So the apostle Paul in the book of Acts, he says, I've lived in all good conscience before God to this day. He's saying, I'm obeying my conscience, right? Now, as we obey our conscience, right, the, it's the, the, the spirit of God is speaking to our spirit. Our spirit is in turn speaking to us. We uh, literally grow in the fear of the Lord as we obey our conscience, right? Now, the, the, the other thing that, that causes the fear of the Lord to come into our lives, and this is, this is, this is in multiple places, but I, I just want to show you uh, two places uh, in the New Testament. First of all, in 1 John chapter 3, it says, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Verse 3, and everyone who has this hope in himself, the hope of Jesus coming back, setting up his kingdom, that you and I are going to stand before him. And the Bible says, you will give an account for the things that you have done in the flesh. Jesus said, I'm coming quickly and my reward, one translation says, my paycheck is with me. Right? Jesus is coming back. Right? When he comes back, he's setting up his kingdom. 
But the Bible says when you understand what's going to happen, you'll purify yourself. You realize I'm going to stand before him and I'm going to give an account for the things I've done in the flesh. Now, the Bible says to be careful that you receive a full reward. Do you realize you can do dumb, stupid things and lose half of your heavenly reward? You're quiet. Yeah, you can, you can lose your reward. Jesus said, watch out that no one take your crown. You can lose your reward. Right? The Bible says when you realize Jesus is coming back, it says you'll change the way you live. Right? You, you, you will purify yourself. Right? It, it literally produces the fear of God on the inside of us. Uh, in Titus chapter 2, in verse 11, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So it's God's grace we're talking about. And it, God's grace, teaches us to deny ungodly, worldly lusts that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Uh, one translation says it like this. The grace of God teaches us to say no. To say no to ungodly, worldly desires. A lot of people really think grace is God just saying it's okay. Just whatever you do, it's okay. You're covered. That's not what grace is. God's grace teaches you to say no. God's grace is an enabling force. It's a teaching entity. It is an empowering reality, right? It teaches us and it enables us to say no. In fact, on three, I'd like y'all to shout no. One, two, three. No. You know, we need a little more oomph behind that, All right? One, two, three. No. Oh, that's good. That's good. I remember reading after Smith Wigglesworth, the evangelist from the early 20th century. He said he was at a bus stop in England waiting for a bus and a, a lady came who lived right nearby and stood next to him and her, her little dog. How many know them, them little ones? Kind of cute. They're just always messing around, you know, this oh, nervous little thing. Well, that, that little dog came and was right next to her and, and she says, now go home, go home. And that dog just wagged its tail. You know? And she says, now get going, get. You know, came right up against her leg and kind of rubbed against her leg. She saw the bus coming and she said, get out of here, go! And that little dog took off. And Wigglesworth, without thinking of it, said, that's what you got to do to the devil. Right? That's what you've got to do to the devil. You got to resist him. Right? So the grace of God that brings salvation teaches us to say no to ungodly, worldly lust, to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking, look, 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 looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, it talks about living godly, but what are we looking to? We're looking for Jesus to come back. We're waiting for him to establish his kingdom. We're realizing we are going to give an account to Jesus for the things that we've done in our physical bodies. And because of it, we purify ourselves just like he's pure. It literally, it produces the fear of God. And I, I believe that every day we should be saying, God, give me grace. 
give me grace. Grace that teaches me. Grace that enables me. But one of the ways that grace comes, right, is by asking for grace. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And, and literally, Paul is speaking a blessing of grace and peace to people. And, and I, I know that we can do the same thing today. We can speak words of faith, of grace, and of peace, and the peace of God, and the grace of God comes to people. Now, one of the things that, that, that uh, I believed, and I know many, many people believe, is that when you're young, what you do is you, 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 know, you go out and you sow some wild oats. You get it out of your system, right? Get it done, and then you're old and, and you live good. In fact, you're old and you can't have any fun anyway. I mean, that's what people think. It is, I'm telling you, that's what I thought. All right? Okay, I want you to listen to the Bible. Ephesians 4, verse 32. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which goes corrupt according to deceitful lusts. The old man does what? He grows corrupt. Right? People think, oh, you know, you're, you're young and there's temptation, but when you're old, there's no temptation. The exact opposite is true. Right? In fact, the things that you give yourself to and you're young, right, they don't disappear. Right? In fact, they continue on and they grow in their wickedness and in their corruption. How many ever heard the, the saying, dirty old man? Right? And there's dirty old ladies too. Right? Because if you don't deal with it, listen, if you don't deal with it, it grows. Listen, this is Ezekiel. There, there's several verses I'm going to give you here, but Ezekiel chapter 23, verse 8. She has never given up her harlotry, which she brought from Egypt. For in her youth, they had lain with her and pressed her virgin bosom and poured out their immorality upon her. What happened in her youth, she never, never outgrew it, never gave it up. In fact, it grew on the inside of her, right? And that's what wickedness does. We think, oh, I can just do this now and I'll change later. I can't tell you how many men I have sat down with who, young men, before they're married, they get involved in pornography and they think, I'm gonna get married and it's gonna be gone. It's not. It is not, right? It's, it's not, an, p, p, the, how can I say this? Sex and marriage and pornography are as different as chalk and cheese. You don't realize it, and that, that, that thing just keeps on growing on the inside. Ecclesiastes 8, 9. And wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. So you give yourself to sin, and it will not release you, Right? It won't deliver you. It keeps its hold on you. Proverbs 5, verse 22. His own iniquity entraps the wicked man and he's caught in the cords of his sin. He's trapped in the cords. It's like you give yourself to sin and sin wraps a cord around your leg. And you say, hey, I'm done with that. And you take off walking and you get so far and that sin grabs you back. And you say, I'll never do that again. And then you take off and you take about four steps and it yanks you back. And you'll say, I'll never do that again. And you take six more steps and that cord gives you a yank and you fall right back into that thing again. I remember listening to Norval Hayes 30 years ago. Norval was an, an evangelist in the 20th century. I'm, I'm 
pretty sure he's in heaven by now. Uh, he was old when I was 30, so I'm, you know, he's probably in heaven. But he made a statement. He said, don't try sin. He said, because you might like it. I'm going to say that again. He said, don't try, don't experiment with sin. He said, because you might like it. Now, in uh, Psalms 119, it says, but my soul clings to the dust. My soul clings to the dust. Uh, last summer, uh, Jeannie and I and uh, Pastor James and his wife, Eileen, and Steve Hage and, and his wife, Daniil, we were... Uh, up north, just spending a couple days together. We were up in Harbor Springs, and the girls were shopping. So us guys are outside, and, and we're talking Bible, and, and this verse comes up. My soul clings to the dust. And we started talking, what is that exactly? What does that mean? And uh, uh, we got studying, and, and uh, we found a, a really good translation of that verse would, say, would be, my soul clings to the garbage heap. Right? Uh, your natural man, all right, it, it, it is, is drawn to the wrong stuff. In fact, we were talking and we said, we said, we never did it, but we said, hey, all three of us, let's preach the same sermon one Sunday and let's have a garbage can on the platform and stand in the garbage can and have stuff in the garbage can and start preaching on it as we take it out. It was a great idea. We never did go through with it. So here's how it works. When you come to Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creature, a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So when you come to Jesus, the old passes away and all becomes new. Now listen, that's talking about your spirit, the real person that you are on the inside. But when you come to Jesus, you do not get a new brain. How many of you realize when you come to Jesus, your brain is still messed up. You still have all those same stupid thoughts you had before. Right? And your, your, your brain or your soul does not get saved when you get saved. In fact, James chapter 1, James said, receive with the verse 21. He said, receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. So he's talking to Christians and he says, there's something you can do that is able to save your soul. And it's found in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, don't be like the world. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by changing the way you think. Right? So the way that your soul, your mind gets saved is by changing how you think. How many of you know our culture is a mess? In fact, <laughs> 2,000 years ago, when Peter gave an invitation to become a Christian on the day of Pentecost. He said, be saved from this perverse generation. People think, well, I'm just going to get saved from hell. No, the Bible says you need to get saved from this world, from the perverseness that's out here in this world, right? And it's in our head, right? So we've got to do something. We've got to change the way we think. And that's the reason we have a Bible. Because when you read the Bible, you're not thinking the thoughts of Peter, James, John, or Moses. The Bible is God's thoughts. It is God's thoughts. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God-breathed. 
It's God's word speaking to you and to me. And we can find out what God thinks about every subject when we get in the word of God. And we need to change the way that we think. That's why David in Psalms 119 verse 128 said, I consider your word concerning all things to be right. How many know God's right about marriage? He's right about raising your kids. He's right about abortion, right? He hates racism. How many know he's right? Right? He's right about money. You name the subject, God's right about it. And when we disagree, we're wrong. We're wrong. All right. So we've got to change the way we think. Matt, you are three parts. Your spirit, that God saved. Your soul, your mind is in this process of being saved. But your body is crazy. Your body is not saved. You say, I'm a Christian. Your spirit's a Christian. Your body is a heathen. All right? Your body is a heathen. In fact, Romans 7 verse 23 says the law of sin abides in your members or your body. So your body will not get saved until Jesus comes back. And when Jesus comes back, you get a new version. Right? And your body is going to get saved when Jesus returns. So your spirit is saved. Your soul is being saved. And your body will be say. So your body's crazy. But what what happens when you become a Christian, you're supposed to live out of your spirit. Your spirit is supposed to be dominating your life. Unfortunately, many Christians, their body dominates their life or their unrenewed, unchanged mind is dominating their life. So we need need to realize we got to live out of our spirit and we need to find out how do we live out of our spirits. Because when we do, we will live the victorious Christian life that God has provided for us to live. Now, when you don't live out of your spirit, the Bible literally calls you a carnal Christian. A carnal Christian. You say, well, what what does that exactly mean? Well, uh, Jeannie and I, we were missionaries in Mexico. And uh, down there, one of my my favorite platos, my favorite uh, meals was frijoles con carne, right? So that's beans with carne or meat, right? And and literally, when the Bible says you're carnal, it's like saying you're a meathead. (laughs) It's like saying, look, you are letting your flesh dominate you, all right? And that is not what Christians do. Paul said, I could not speak to you as unto spiritual, people that their spirits run in their lives but as unto carnal, because your unrenewed mind and your body is running your life, right? But when we become mature in Christ, we're living out of our spirit, right? That's where we've got the life of God, the nature of God. That's where God speaks to us is right here on the inside. That's where you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Well, I think we're going to have to continue next week. My, my assistant told me I had 80 pages in this message, and I got to the top of page four. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we, we aren't going to get, it's going to be another one of those I never do finish, for sure. But uh, we'll, we'll come right back here and uh, start again next week. But uh, I, I had a thought this week that I, I wanted to share with you. It's a spiritual principle. And, and I was reading in 1 Corinthians 15, 
verse 46. It says, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterwards, the spiritual. So first comes the natural, and then comes the spiritual. Now, the example that Paul gives us is he says, first of all was the natural man, Adam. He says, then came the second, or the the Bible calls him the last Adam. He was the spiritual man, the man from heaven, Jesus. So there was first the natural man, then there was the spiritual man. First of all, in the Old Testament, they took and they sacrificed lambs, natural lambs. Then Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, came and was sacrificed. First the natural, then the spiritual. So our stewardship in the natural things prepares us for stewardship in the spiritual things. I want you to think about the family as an example. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, talking about a leader in the church, one who rules his own house well, having children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? So it's saying, first of all, take care of your house at home, and then you're ready to take care of the spiritual house, God's house. So he's saying, if it's not working at home, don't export. Get it working at home. So it's first the natural and then the spiritual. In Luke 16, Jesus said, Therefore, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon or with money, who will commit to your trust true riches. He's saying God looks, first of all, at what we do with the natural, with the money that we have, natural money. He says, and when we're faithful with the natural, then God gives us true riches. Now, the principle here or the lesson is not give money and get more money. The principle is handle your money well, and God will give you true riches. The presence of God, the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of Jesus, spiritual insight, blessing, the kingdom of God, righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of God's spirit. I I was thinking about this, and and the, the verse that came to my mind was Ezekiel 34, verse 26, which says, there shall be showers of blessing. How many will take some showers of blessing? See, but when we're faithful with the natural, God says, then I'm going to bring the spiritual. And we tend to think that they're so so divided, but that isn't true. What we do, first of all, with the natural prepares us for the blessing spiritually. Well, Father, I pray right now for the word of God that has been sown into our hearts today. And I pray, Father, that it'll bring forth fruit in each and every one of our lives. And we thank you, Lord, that we are born into the kingdom, that we're born into victory. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.